Welcome to Business Ninjas. I'm here with Mike Audi. Uh, Mike, tell me a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your company. Yeah, so I'm Mike, and um, I guess I'm obsessed with data um, and, you know, the decentralization or lack of control of it or however you want to put it. Um, I became obsessed with specifically user data ownership probably about a decade ago. Um, you know, I was, you know, data is the single greatest tool used to control populations and Roughly all of it is controlled by five-ish companies in the entire world. And that really scared me in terms of individuality and freedom and really the purpose of the internet. Um, and so, you know, when the world went through a data privacy revolution a few years ago, I took the opportunity to jump in and say, hey, I think we can fix a few things that are that were just missed when we were building the organ the internet organically, right? A few foundational layers, more specifically, um, how we assign and attach value to data as an asset, which creates a free market and free markets, free fair market value, right? And so ultimately, that gives people the ability to get control, compensation, and transparency for their data as it's a new asset class that's owned by people because you do legally on your data. You just have no way of exercising those rights. And so we're building a new kind of infrastructure company that gives people power over their data without themselves having to figure out who's got what and what they're doing with it and doing anything about the complex of the technology and all that stuff, right? It's a little dancing pineapple. It's got your back. Um, we're here to give you power over your data. Just bring some fairness and equality to this $10 trillion asset that's used to manipulate us all. I love that. Uh, tell me about your company. Who? What's the company? What's your website? How can people find you? Yeah, company's called Tiki. You can go to mytiki.com um, and you'll find us all over the internet with random words like Tiki and data and my, uh, you know, you'll find it. Um, but mytiki.com. Um, yeah, come check us out. Great. And so how did you start the company? You know, people are always interested in the origin story and you framed up the problem really nicely there. Uh, how did you get from this idea to then, I'm going to start a company and we're going to do X and tell me a little bit about what you do in that. Yeah, I mean, I was I was running another data company that I had started when I decided to start this one. <laughs> so I had been doing this a long time, right? So I was building... I was building another company, um, which is doing great, um, that uses data about how people interact with products after they buy a product to figure out mm -hmm. how to help them have a better experience, whether that be take care of the product or how to use the product, right? How do you use data and AI, the intersection of people after they buy a product to help retain that customer for the brand, right? And so um, I had been doing that for 10 years, give or take. Um, and But I had Tiki was always my dream and passion um, I became obsessed with the idea a long time ago, but I didn't think it could be done because people didn't care about their data. And it's a foolish way to start a company on the premise of I'm going to teach 5 billion people on the internet why they should care about their data. Like that's a bad business model. Um, and so it just felt like the time was now and, you know, end of 2019 into 2020, I started the company end of 2020 after, you know, we saw some, you know, interesting moments right the social dilemma came out and people got really upset um 30 million people quit whatsapp over a privacy policy change no one had ever quit any app over a privacy policy change before let alone 30 million people you know so they're just like these little nuggets like my parents started asking me questions like what's signal why are they talking about this on the news right mm -hmm. um, it hit the zeitgeist um 
which meant that it could be done now, right? Because you can give people power and control over their data. It's just some pretty fancy code and good go-to-market strategy if they care about it. But people have to be willing to do something. They have to like check a box or download an app. They have to do an action. It doesn't have to be complicated, but they got to be willing to do something. You can't just give everybody everything just like without their consent or knowledge, right? So they have to be active and willing participants, um, which was the biggest barrier to fixing this problem for decades. And so how do people use MyTiki and how do they become customers and who are you targeting? Yeah. So right now you go to MyTiki, you can sign up to part of our beta and then you can install the app, which allows you to link your existing accounts. And we start showing you these like Tinder swipe cards that let you say, no, this company can't have my data. Yes, this company can. Um, the way it works under the covers is we're actually minting millions and millions of data NFTs um, on our own custom blockchain, which give you immutable ownership over your data as a new asset class, which then ultimately allows you to license it. We're building out the data marketplace now to allow people to anonymously and safely and securely license their data back to businesses um, directly and get paid compensation for it. Um, we're starting to head down approach. We've been approached by many big businesses about actually integrating what we do directly into their own apps. And so we're starting to build core infrastructure. You can think of it a bit like um, Stripe, but for the new data economy, where companies will be able to give you ownership of your data right inside their own app and then offer you discounts, loyalty points, or even money back for sharing your data with them. Um, so we're building this whole new world for data that people own it. I love it. You are the node, right? You are the node. <laughs> it's your data. Like, of course, right? right? Like, why wouldn't you? It's right. yours. It's part of you. <laughs> give it to the ad network. You are yeah. the ad network. <laughs> love that. That's really cool. How do you guys generate revenue? We don't. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Will you? I mean, eventually, sure. We're focused on driving supply, right? Like when you want to build a marketplace, you either have, you have to pick one side, right? Because all marketplaces face the same chicken and egg problem, right? Yeah. And so you can't do both simultaneously. So you can either drive demand through the roof or drive supply through the roof. We're focused on driving supply, which is people and data, right? Um, and so our, our KPI that we're focused on for the next year is we want 1 million users, 1 trillion data points transacted. We've already done over 3.5 million data NFTs on chain, uh, making it the world's largest NFT collection. Um, and where we want 1 trillion by one year. And so that really makes it the world's greatest, like the, the biggest data platform the world's ever seen. It's fascinating to kind of think about that kind of a multiplier too. So a million people produce a trillion data points. So it makes you kind of consider uh, who's got what in this world, right? Exactly. So, yeah. 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 That's very cool. Um, how are you growing the business? Yeah. So direct consumer is our primary channel. Um, mm -hmm. We only do two things, content and code. So. We make great code and we just constantly put out content because ultimately it's a user problem. Whether it's built into somebody else's app or our app doesn't really matter. It's all about the person interacting with this new asset. Um, and so it's all about making, you know, inform people what's going on, allowing them to even know that it's possible to actually solve this problem. Right. I think the biggest thing we always faced from early on is it sounds too good to be true, right? Like I can have privacy and I can get paid for my data and it's mine. Like, like we all kind of wrote it off. Like if we use the internet, we have no privacy. We just kind of mm -hmm. accepted this as like a part of life. Like, you know, either I use Instagram or give up my privacy in perpetuity or I just don't. And, you know, I'm out here saying, well, 
why can't we have both things, right? Like, why can't we have two things? Um, and so it's just like reaching people in a way that sounds genuine, right? We tried ads, for example, ads do not work for this problem because it feels like we're just trying to steal your data, right? It comes across very disingenuous. Yeah. With data, you're starting from a negative trust position. You're not starting from, you're not even starting from zero as most companies, right? Like the second you say you're a user data company, people already assume you're doing something shady. The radar so, goes up. Yeah. And so you're just starting from a negative position. Um, and yeah. so trying to help people like just reach them where they are, show them what's going on. All of our stuff is open source and transparent. And so we do a ton of content creation. Like it's just content, 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 um, organic or promoted, right? And so some of the, and we use influencers for our promotional strategies. Um, that's how we mm -hmm. got it. So we have 125,000 users to date. Um, we sign them up very fast out of the gate before, like too early, too fast. And so we actually stopped signups for a long time because it became overwhelming how many people were actively interested in what we're doing. And that all came through influencer content pro programs, right? So we would create content, we'd work with influencers to create branded content, and then we would pump those out on social channels and drive huge conversion rates. Um, so influencer marketing and content creation through our own channels are the two major ones. Love that. How do you source influencers that are the right kind of people to carry that message? Yeah, um, I don't know that we know, um, to be honest. I mean, yeah. when we... So when we went to go do the program, we picked a few that we thought were right on the money. And I'd say we were like 20% accurate on that. Mm -hmm. um, so then we learned, so then we did the exact opposite, which is we actually used a scraping tool to scrape a whole bunch of YouTube influences across a wide variety of channels. And we went in the cold, cold outbound like out approach to about 500 influencers and just did deals with everybody who said yes to just try as big and wide of a net as possible. I'd say we had like a 5% success rate on there. Um, so then we took everything we learned out of there and we found through trial and error that like audiences and influencers in data adjacent spaces works the best for what we're doing. Um, and that's because, you know, our podcast theme is your data, your story. What we found is with people, um, data is very intangible and hard for someone to grasp. Um, mm -hmm. But as soon as you put it in a frame of reference to something they understand, it does fantastic, right? Like shout out Jeff Curret, who was a TikTok influencer we worked with, drove tens of thousands of signups for us um, through TikTok. Um, and what he does on his page is he talks about how to use SEO to drive social media traffic, specifically mm -hmm. focused on TikTok, right? And so this is a very data heavy like topic and people who use it have some understanding of data and care about data, but not so much that you're not hitting them over the head with like how much data you're making per day and what's it worth and all these things, right? And so it was a way to connect with people. And we saw huge conversion rates and huge huge just viewership numbers um, from content that was like that. And so that really informed our strategy going forward was, you know, don't go head on at the problem, but talk to people about things they understand that are related to it. Um, another good example, I did a free um, interview on an Ethereum mining channel, right? So these are crypto folks. Um, yep. I did a free interview. I think we signed up like 5,000 people or something from a free interview overnight. Um, and that's because all of those people understand crypto and getting paid for an asset you own and the digitally native, con right? They're coming as a very pre, 
like pre-qualified audience, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So everybody who heard that was like, I get what this guy's talking about, right? And so um, those kinds of like adjacent spaces have just done fantastic for us. It makes a ton of sense. Tell me a little bit about the user experience in the app. So <clears throat> I download the app, I sign up, I connect with my uh, my social channels and, and mm -hmm. any other channels that I want to, and I personalize it with the with the Tinder cards that you mentioned. But what happens after that? Am I seeing you know other companies using my data along the way, and how is it sort of like a light bulb goes on every time I open up the app to go, wow, I didn't know that that was happening under the hood. Yeah, I mean, that's really what we're building towards, right? You know, we're still in beta. So some of those features are too common. Some are in there. Mm -hmm. But once you own an asset, you can do a bunch of really cool things, right? You can see who's licensing your asset. And so what are they doing with it? You can stop people from doing it. You can get paid for it. You can turn off access. You can destroy that asset, right? Like these are, you know, basic things, right? It's the same as like having a car, right? You own a car, you decide who drives your car. You sell your car, you get money for your car. If you want to take your car to the junkyard, you can take your car to the junkyard. You the, these are all options that are available to you. That's no different for your data other than it's technically more complicated because it's just like you can't really see it and it's flying around at all times everywhere, right? And, mm -hmm. But other than that, it's the same basic principles, right? So you should, you get to just choose who drives your car. You get to choose who uses your car. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, it's so funny because we don't really think of our data as being an asset, but yeah, clearly as you're saying this, it is. And it sounds like once you download the app, you, you become really uh, attuned to how yeah. others are viewing your data as an asset and monetizing it themselves. So yeah, uh, it's worth estimates are user data in, in total is worth $10 trillion today, making one of the largest industries in the world. Um, yeah. And so you as like a per like in the United States, a given user's data is worth upwards of 10 grand a year. And so, mm -hmm. you know, you're talking per you know, individual, per individual, right? So wow. a person's data is worth over a million dollars over their life. It's worth about a 10 upwards of 10 grand a year. It's increasing dramatically year over year in terms of value. Um, and so, you know, you're talking about a sizable thing, you know, something worth more than your laptop, right? And so if you care who's walking around picking up your laptop or your, you know, your iPhone, like, why don't you care about your data? For sure. Yeah, that's really interesting. Walk me through a scenario of how somebody gets paid in, in this kind of environment. Yeah, so we're working on, so let's work backwards from how, how data is worth money today, right? So yeah. There are data brokers and data services and data pools. And there's all these, like, there's this infrastructure that we think of as the layer two data infrastructure that's out there today, right? These are the companies that we don't know of as consumers that sit behind the companies that we interact with, right? We interact with Google. There's like a, we, we know we're giving Google some of our data in exchange for them giving us search results, which we know that they're going to monetize. But the reality of that, right, is that through their marketplace and partnerships, that data goes to a company like LiveRamp, which is one of the largest brokers in the world, which then powers tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of companies. And so in the blink of an eye for that one ad, like 100,000 companies are interacting with your data. And all of a sudden it went from one to one to many, many, many companies, right, um, that we don't realize. And that's why the problem is so hard to grasp and figure it out, right? And so when you're building a data marketplace, right, you're focused on that one-to-many transaction, right? So you can give your data to Google, but we're also saying, because you own it, you can license that same data to those 100,000 companies that would have also gotten it through Google, and they'll pay you for it instead, right? And because, you know, 
if you can sell something for one dollar to one thousand companies, you get a thousand dollars, right? Like that's yeah. that's the economics of how a data marketplace works. And so the way it ends up happening in the app is that as those companies use your data, we bill them and you get paid a hundred percent of whatever you earn against that. And so that money gets sent to you. Technically it's in crypto, but it's in what's called a stable coin. Um, which mm-hmm. means it's pegged to a U.S. dollar. So if you get one USDC, one stable coin, it's equal to one dollar, mm-hmm. which you can then withdraw to U.S. dollars, or you can withdraw to Bitcoin if you want, or any mm-hmm. other you know different currencies that we support. And so you're just getting paid real real dollars for your data that you can then yeah. do what you want with it, right? We're working on some cool things for data donations where people can pool their data dollars that they earn into donations, which they can donate to any number of causes, right? And so, you know, 100,000 people pooling a dollar a month is a very big check to a charity. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really interesting. What stable coin is it that you use? What currency is sort of the foundation? Yeah. We're building it on USDC. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yep. Very cool. Very cool. I love this idea. This is something that's been near to my heart for, for a long time myself. Uh, so I, I, I'm a fan of what you're doing, and it's exciting to see the kind of growth that you're experiencing here. Um, anything else that you'd like to mention before we break? Everybody should be making lots and lots of content. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> I, I, it's so hard. It feels so hard to measure initially, um, and it feels very like it's not doing anything. There aren't big numbers, but honestly, everything good that's ever happened to us has come because some content created. It's hard to even place my finger on why or how, you know, a little blog was read by an inf- like an influential person who then called me um, and was like, hey, I got to talk to you about this idea you put in this blog. And it turns into a business partnership, right? We write yeah. a blog about coming to Nashville and it leads to introductions to investors, right? It's just like, it all seems to cascade. Um, and so content. I love that. What's your that. favorite, what's your, like, if, if, just to put you on the spot here, like what, what's your favorite story or anecdote around writing a piece of content and that, that's turned into like a flashpoint for you guys that's been, uh, you know, been like a, a big wow for all you guys. You're like high-fiving each other going like, I couldn't even imagine that would have happened. I mean, I, I briefly mentioned two of them that massively stand out, right? The first was, so me and my co-founder decided we wanted to move from Boston to somewhere to build this company, get an office and start bringing people in, right? And so we selected Nashville and within one month we were here in Nashville, but we knew no, we had no ties to Nashville. We didn't know anybody. We, we just showed up. Um, and so we just wrote a blog about just showing up and a somebody on LinkedIn reposted it and then a reporter showed up who became a friend of ours and she made introductions to all these people and somebody else saw it and made an introduction to some other people and that's led to all sorts of crazy opportunities I'm, I've been speaking at events we've been we've got tons of investor traction we've got we've created business partnerships out of it it's led to guests on our podcast right you just case web of interconnectivity and we just got sucked right into the entire ethos in nashville off of one blog just one blog we posted knowing nobody in nashville uh i I love that yeah the other i can't name any names but we've been working on some strategic partnerships with a massive public company um and that came out of i simply wrote a blog 
that I don't know, less than 100 people probably read about the idea for a new kind of blockchain. Um, that's it. And he was one of like the 100 people who read and DM me on LinkedIn. And we've been talking for over a year. We're going to do some strategic things together um, that have, right? And, you know, their reach is about a half a billion people. And so, right, we're talking huge, huge numbers of reach out of just a, a blog that I wrote just for myself, right? Like, I was just like, I need to put this idea somewhere so I don't lose it. <laughs> I love that. That's so great. Well, it just goes to show you getting the word out there and putting your, putting your opinion out there and your insights. Uh, you can really drive engagement in, in ways that you haven't imagined. It's really exciting. I love what you're doing, Mike. Um, it's mytiki.com. Download the app and uh, reclaim your, your personal data. I love that awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, guys.